Hey guys, Press Gallery host Emma Graney here. Exciting development. Woot woot. We have a weekly segment called the Press Gallery Interview, which you probably, if you subscribe, which you should, um, you would have got straight into your inbox or that's not what it is, into your little podcast machine. <laughs> That's a technological term, everybody. Um, it basically, once a week, we are going to be talking with politicians and some of the insiders about the issue of the day. So that will come out midweek. Keith Gerine, our political columnist, will usually be interviewing, and sometimes it might be me if you're really unlucky that week. So do subscribe and remember to tell your friends about the podcast if they do enjoy Alberta politics in any way, shape, or form, and shoot us a rating if you would like. As always, any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me an email, egraney at postmedia.com or find me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, October 19, 2018, and this is the old news is still news edition. With me today... My boss, Sarah O'Donnell. How are you, Sarah? I'm great. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's just a pleasure to have you here. Uh, Education reporter, Janet French. Hello. How are you? Excellent. How are you doing? Oh, I'm just fine. Thanks. sweater looks really nice and comfortable and warm. Cozy. It's my desk sweater. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Mm. It's a lovely brown color for all the listeners out there wondering (laughs) what does this sweater look like. I think it's the only brown thing I own, to be honest. (laughs) And Keith Duran, our political columnist, how are you, mate? I'm good. Good morning. Yes, it is a good morning. It is a lovely morning. Mm -hmm. Rode my bicycle. Brisk, yeah. Super brisk ride this morning. Yeah, but it was nice. Were you biking? Was there any haze in the air Mm -hmm. now that we've uh, passed the, the legalization day? Oh, yeah, I just got super high on the way here. <laughs> no, I didn't. There wasn't. You See, guys. nothing's changed. I guess we'll talk about that. <laughs> you saying I normally get high on the way to work? No! <laughs> what? No, <laughs> not at all. Going? I was referring to the, Old news. S- the situation in the streets. The situation <laughs> in the streets. It sounds like it oh sounds like we're on West Side Story and there's some kind of gang warfare. I've clearly, be- dodge, I've clearly become a senior citizen. There yeah. we go. And now all the listeners do think we're high. That's <laughs> starting a show like this. Uh, we are not talking about the Sharks versus the Jets. What we are going to talk about is the UCP being unhappy with the media for covering a Jason Kenney speech this week and uh, how that all panned out for everyone involved. We will also talk about the Alberta Party. We don't talk about the Alberta Party that often, so hey oh, They booted a candidate this week, and they also have their convention this weekend, and uh, our very own Keith Ryan had a chat with leader Stephen Mandel. That's so his we'll name, Stephen Mandel. Steve. He doesn't like Steve. No. Mm. Finally, we will talk about legalization of cannabis this week, uh, and the political aspect of that, specific to municipalities getting some cash, but not. Or not. Or not, as the case not may enough. be. Is it ever enough, though? Well, we'll I guess we'll, we'll get, get there. there. Let's start off with something that took a fair bit of my time this week, which was the Jason Kenney speech in Calgary last week. Last it, was, week. it was October 9th, I think, is when it happened. Right? Yes, exactly. You know, this is one of those stories that I think, as editor, it's worth talking about how it came to came to pass. Um you gave me a call. Jason Kenney has made a series of speeches in Calgary in the last you know, few weeks. He hasn't been up here as much. We haven't had as much chance to hear what he's had to say. And uh, we thought that for our readers, there was some benefit to going through those speeches and pulling together what he said, because there had been some actual 
policy discussion in those. So that was the point of this story. It was pulling all of the information together, getting things that he'd said on the record onto the record of the newspaper to help readers who are going to be voters in May get begin to get some idea about the kinds of things that Jason Kenney is talking about when he is saying that this is what we would do if we were being government. And that, to me, as a news editor, sound like, sounded like a very sensible news story. Yeah, so on Sunday, I um, I sat here. Janet and I, we were working on the weekend. Hey, Janet. Lucky hey. us. Yeah. Yeah, weekend fun. warriors. Yeah. Uh, so I sat at my desk, or someone else's desk that I'd hijacked for the weekend here in the newsroom, and basically just listened to Jason Kenney's speech. And as I was listening to it, and I told Sarah, like, I think he said some stuff in there, but I'm just going to go back and review it. So I had a look at it, and sure enough, he's talking about you know not getting bogged down in consultation. He's talking about um, the Aussie-style uh, graduated wage system. He's talking about getting people to write orders in council ahead of the election so they can hit the ground running. That's in air quotes. I'm air quoting Janet Styles right now. Yeah, so I think the big difference was some of that stuff, absolutely, he said before. Um, he has fleshed out some of it as well, though he did in his Calgary Chamber of Commerce speech. And it's worth noting, I'm not at every single speech. So what I did was bring it into one handy-dandy guide. Look, you know, here are some policy ideas. I thought it would be a useful thing for readers. And it was. I think it was. Uh, Not how the UCP saw it. And according to our website traffic, there were a lot of readers that were interested as well. Yeah. You know, what surprised me was the reaction to this. So I was not surprised that people were reading it and interested in it because, of course, people want to read about policy. We know that. We know that Mm -hmm. from all of our various metrics. People are interested in politics. They want to read it. What did surprise me was it two days later, it was the delayed response, but a response to your story from um, the Conservatives via the Unite Alberta Twitter. Yeah, that was on Tuesday. So the the story was published Monday morning. um, And then immediately, everyone just kind of then wanted to follow that story, even though we've heard bits and pieces of this, but it had never been pulled together in in a list like that. So then... um, I think the CBC and CP asked government for reaction. They went, sure, we'll put up Shannon Phillips and do a little dial-in call and she can tell you her thoughts about that, which, spoiler alert, were none too impressed with what Jason Kenney said. And then on Tuesday, you're right, Sarah, that's when Unite Alberta, which is Jason, the office of Jason Kenney's official Twitter account, um, jumped up and down and said, why is the media covering this? And they said that, oh, it's because the NDP told them to. Yeah, which obviously, as per my previous description of how this story came to pass, is not at all the case. Um, now, you had a very reasonable response, Emma, and I am I am glad that you addressed it. Uh, I am glad that you responded to that particular series of tweets. Uh, for the people who maybe didn't see what you tweeted, tell us um, in a summary form what you said. I started off with a... Christ on a bike! Christ on a bike. <laughs> You know what's funny is I've had so many people ask me what that means. I thought it was a normal Australian saying. I've since discovered it is not a very common Australian saying. I've heard it before, but my husband, Yuri, is like, is it though? (laughs) Perhaps that's something in your household that was an expression. I guess so, yeah. yeah. So basically what I said was, you know what? He's fleshed out some of his policy details. Was there anything incorrect in my story? No. No. Did the NDP tell me to cover it? Absolutely no. no. And if you don't want to get bogged down in consultation, I'm quoting Jason Kenney there because that's what he said, after the 2019 election, if you do indeed form government as the UCP, surely you don't mind the media shining a spotlight on what you intend to be your policy. If you're so hell-bent on doing these consultations now, perhaps you would welcome the feedback um, with which you say you're going to use to shape policy. I just don't – the whole idea of them turning around on the media 
and being pissed off that we're covering a speech in which the leader is saying policy is just bizarre to me. I can't wrap my head around it. And I do hope that that is something that everyone heading into the next election realizes is that it is our responsibility uh, as journalists to be listening to what the leaders say, even if we can't listen to it at that very moment. There are all kinds of events. Sometimes, you know, Janet has to cover school board cover school board meetings, and sometimes both boards have their meetings at the same time. Often they both have their meetings at the same time. And she has to go back and review later what happened at the other meeting. Um, this, this happens in a range of circumstances. There are only so many of us and so many hours in the day. But it is our job, our duty to go back and listen to this material and then share it with readers. The other thing I, I think we need to mention here, this this attack on the media, on MS specifically, was from the Unite Alberta Twitter account, right? And who who are these folks exactly? This is a, these are people connected very closely with Jason Kenney, right? right. But so they don't put their name to those tweets. They do, no, they they do not. They do not. So they, they, they sort of hide behind this title, Unite Alberta, thinking that it could be anyone, right? That's the, the public perception. It could be lower level members of the party. It could just be people who are sympathetic to the, to the average person out there. But in fact, these are people who are very, very closely connected to Jason Kenney. So this, in my mind anyway, this is in effect Jason Kenney uh, giving a, a tacit approval to these kinds of tweets. Uh, but it's nothing new for him, right? He has decided, I think, that the media is an enemy to him to a degree. Uh, he has in many of his uh, emails and, and public relations statements to his members, uh, made attacks on the media, saying things are, are media friends, he often says. He puts that in, in kind of a tongue-in-cheek you way. You need says, to donate money to our party because we need to tell our story. Our right. media, our friends in the media certainly won't, won't do, do it, it for us. us. Exactly. That's right. So this is not really anything new from Jason Kenney and from the UCP, but it is disappointing. And I think Emma was absolutely right to fight back in this case. I don't usually get involved on Twitter, <laughs> you know, like I try, I try, I really do try to just stay out of really big disagreements because I just don't think there is usually any benefit to wading in and having a tit for tat on Twitter. I mean, it's usually a waste of your time, but there are some, there are some points, dear listeners, when I will snap. And that was one of those points, I guess, on Tuesday. I really do think what this shows is that for all of the political parties is that just judging from the readership on our story, Albertans do want to hear yep. what the details are of the policy, what you would bring to the next four years. So I think that if there's something to be learned from this, maybe that's it. I, I would hope. I would hope that the lesson they could take, I'm being so benevolent, not benevolent, but uh, wishful thinking here. <laughs> I wish that what people would see is they want to know what you would do for the next four years, specifically, not just in broad, ambiguous strokes that leave everybody guessing about what that could potentially mean. Well, and leave giant holes for the opposition parties to attack their that lack of information. Yeah, right? because one and of the things he said was... fear-mongering. Yeah, one of the th- you're absolutely right, Janet, because one of the things that Jason Kenney said was, we're going to roll back uh, NDP Labour legislation. That's all he said. For the sake of clarity, I did ask for an interview with Jason Kenney on Sunday after I'd listened to his speech and I had, you know, I wanted to clarify some things like... For instance, what kind of labour legislation will you roll back? Which parts of the Australian age-graded pay system are you going to bring in then? Because ultimately that means paying youth less. And he said at the UCP leadership debate that you don't win an election by going into it threatening to cut people's wages, yet that is exactly what he is doing by introducing something like an age-graduated system because he also wants to freeze the minimum wage at 15 bucks an hour. 
has to go somewhere, right? has to go down. That's the only way in which you can bring in a graduated system. It is by paying youth less. I don't see the problem in highlighting that. I grew up under that system, so I felt I was uniquely able to do so. (laughs) There was nothing incorrect in that story, and yet they still had a big tanty about the whole thing. Keith, I thought you made a really interesting point in your column today about the consultation issue and how time and time again we've seen leaders come in with, with ideas that they truly believe to be the right, just, absolute good thing to do. And then only to find themselves bogged down in a disastrous situation and it actually taking longer. Like, do you want to talk about that? Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, it's a a really messy part of government that you have to talk to people. Uh, And we've seen... (laughs) And and not just your party members, right? Because when you're government, you're suddenly, you're not just answering to your party members, but I think the NDP have seen this, you know, probably better than anybody else. They they have, yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, certainly we saw it with their farm safety legislation, Bill 6, Early in their term, uh, that, that did not really well. <laughs> did not go uh, particularly well. Uh, they eventually, I think, did get to a place with the farmers that it finally is at a, yes, a, a, yeah. dec- a decent place. But boy, it sure We've didn't start about out. That in previous episodes, that's right. Yeah. It sure didn't start out that way. And they had to keep talking to people and 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 continue that dialogue to get to uh, a a framework that worked. But. It is a, a problem for a lot of politicians uh, who would just like to, you know, shoot first and ask, ask questions later. Uh, so it is very messy. But the problem is if you don't do it, then you wind up with unintended consequences. You, you end up with legislation that uh, perhaps uh, causes more problems than it solves. Um, but Jason Kenney at this point... From what we hear, he wants to roll into office next May and just have some things ready, and he will just make his reforms and doesn't want to get bogged down on those consultations. I think that is a a dangerous uh, thing to do. We'll see if uh, he actually follows through on that. I my point in the column was you can kind of get away on with the results of the election, of uh, course. Right, of <laughs> course, yes. My point in the column is you can kind of get away with that, sort of. If you have a really high de- highly detailed platform, right, with cost projections, with uh, specific details about how things are going to work, you know, you have the programs more or less worked out, and then you can go right into office and say, you know, Albertans, we gave you all the information up front, you had your vote, and therefore that was your chance to consult in, in many ways. But so far, we haven't seen a lot of meat on the bones in terms of a UCP policy. Jason Kenney promises we will see more, uh, but it has to be highly detailed. And at this point, I'm skeptical that we are going to see that kind of detail. On that consultation aspect, a perfect example is another story that I wrote on the weekend about the firefighters. So Bill 201, it was a private member's bill. Uh, it was called the Firefighters Leave Amendment Act. And what it would what it would have done, and it was brought in um, by a backbencher on the UCP, uh, Wayne Anderson brought that in. And on the surface of it, it sounds awesome. It sounds like a really great idea. So what it basically would have done was that an employer couldn't fire someone for being a volunteer firefighter. They couldn't not hire someone because they were a volunteer firefighter and they had to give them the ability to go and fight fires on a volunteer basis. (laughs) That sounds great. Like that sounds awesome. What a good idea. Let's protect the volunteer firefighters from getting fired. Sounds great. But what happened is it ended up going to committee, which not a lot of bills have done that under this government. Uh, It was a private member's bill. So they got a whole bunch of firefighters to come in, Fire Chiefs Association, that kind of thing, and talk about the implications of this bill. And they all said, this is a great, awesome, wonderful 
concept, but the reality is it's going to pit us against the employers in the community in small town Alberta. And I talked to the um, Fire Chiefs Association president and he said, look, you don't create relationships by legislating them. That's how you burn relationships. So this sounded great, but what it would have done is it would have intimidated employees. It would have had them throwing their hands up in the air and saying, well, bugger it, we're just not going to hire anyone who's a volunteer fireman, which would have been against the law, but also, that's the risk that you run if you have this kind of legislation. And that is a perfect example of why consultation was so important because the government MLAs seemed like, hey, that's a good idea. The opposition MLAs were like, hey, yeah, this is our bill. It sounds like a good idea, right? It sounds like a great idea. After consultation, it's a terrible idea. Please don't do it. And they're not doing it. There is a really good example, a tangible thing that has just happened about why consultation is so, so important by the people who are directly affected, who probably were not just going to jump in and, you know, pay attention to bill debates that are going on in the House. Yeah, that's a very good example. And and it exactly explains the danger of just heading into a... uh, into a mandate without uh, without continuing to talk to people. And, and that includes your opponents, right? Your supporters are going to kind of love everything that you do. But uh, opponents might have a perspective that you want to hear. Even some of your supporters, um, you know, if they, if they vote UCP in the next election, they might be enthusiastically behind one or two ideas like repealing the carbon tax. They may not be so keen and they may not have even thought of some of the other things in the policy. But when they actually look at it, when it comes time to say, you know, do we actually want to introduce more private care options in the health system, for example, they may not be so keen on that. So I, I think that's the other danger, dangerous thing about Jason Kenney's idea here is that it assumes that people who vote for the UCP are 100% behind everything that is in that policy platform. And it just may not be the case. And he doubled down on that message too on uh, Danielle Smith's show, actually. Um, he, she specifically mentioned you know, the attacks on the media. And she said, do you think you're getting a fair shake in the media? And he, all he said was basically, um, I think there are some fair and balanced journalists out there, but there are also those who, see, who seem to think it's more important to hold the opposition to account than the government. To which I would say, well, yeah, so we shouldn't cover what anything that the opposition does. So I should have just let, you know, this whole Derek Philbrand things, no problem. Prob Gill, stuff in ballot boxes, no worries. We'll just not bother about covering any of that. Which is also weird because I've heard them in the past, maybe more the, the Wild Rose than the UCP, but they, they've been crying for coverage. They they say you don't cover our, our, yeah. our policy. You don't cover what we're what we're about. You only you only cover what the government's doing. Well, guess what, guys? You are now leading in the polls. You are the presumptive next government at this point. Uh, we're going to cover you. Sorry, we're going to tell Albertans what you're about and, and what you stand for. I'm not even going to apologize. You said sorry. That was very yeah, Canadian. Sorry, I, will, I, will, I will not <laughs> apologize for covering the opposition. Okay, let's move on now to the... Let's move on to the Alberta party. Speaking of covering... Speaking all MLAs, elected elected oh. officials of all stripes. Yes, that, that was an unintended awesome segue. Good job, mate. It was totally intended. <laughs> oh, sorry, intended segue. Yep, super well planned podcast. This every week. A um, couple of things with the Alberta Party this week. They did boot their Edmonton Ellerslie candidate, Yash Sharma. Yes, yes. Um, that was for going to and supporting an event that was critical of an Indian Supreme Court decision that would allow women to go to an ancient temple. And he was thought that's a terrible idea. And the Alberta Party's like, well, that's discriminatory against women if you don't support this decision. So, nah, 
also you have to support the judiciary even if it is in India. <laughs> right. So they they got rid of him and also they've got their convention this weekend. They do. Yeah, so we had Stephen Mandel uh, on here, a uh, podcast that came out on Wednesday, our new feature. If you haven't heard it yet, you can come go to the edmontonjournal.com website. And Excellent plug. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank and, you. and everywhere you can find your podcast. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it's called the Press Gallery Interview. The Press Gallery Interview. Hey, yeah. So yes, we had Stephen Mandel on, and I asked him about this. He uh, said that they acted very quickly. They found out, uh, I think it was early next or early this week, and uh, had a board meeting the the same night and decided unanimously that uh, yeah Sharma should not be a candidate anymore in Edmonton Ellerslie. Uh, Mandel didn't seem all that upset about it, I have to say, although he did say it, it just wasn't in keeping with the party's values. Uh, he supported the decision that uh, that they have to find a new candidate there. Uh, he said, you know, Yaj is essentially not a bad guy, just has an, a view that uh, isn't in keeping with the party. So the question for him is, is this going to be a continuing issue like it has been for the United Conservative Party? And I guess we'll see. This is the first one we know about. They are in the process of picking a lot more candidates. I asked him how confident he is that there there won't be others. And he said, it's hard to tell. You know, you just don't know uh, from a, a person's history. So much of it is available online now. And he says, we'll see. But hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully it won't be an issue the same way it has been for the other party. Um, but it was interesting to hear that he he's not entirely sure about all of all of the people and he's got some very new people that is his his candidate list right now these are very uh these are political rookies and there's uh if you go onto the page right there there's a lot of diversity mm-hmm. there's a lot of youth uh, there's a lot of women they've got that website right and they have a, a good website they're trying to get 50 percent women although yeah. he admitted that they're probably not going to get there it's more like 30 or 35 percent for this particular campaign uh, but it is political rookies, and uh, some of these pe- people are unsophisticated. They may not understand the implications of some of the things they may have posted in the past. So we'll see. But it is an interesting approach that they are taking with their candidates. And he says that is priority number one. The people do not know the Alberta Party right now. They have to get their candidates up and running and knocking on doors, and that's the only way they're going to make an impact in the next election. They've got more confirmed candidates than the NDP, I think, haven't they? They do at this yeah. point, yes. Yeah, I think they're they're up close to 40 at this point. So I yeah. think they're at 40. Like, I just saw a Facebook post where they were celebrating that they'd hit 40, 40. confirmed candidates. That's okay. almost halfway. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the question, though, is do they have the money and the number of volunteers to be vetting all these potential also candidates? Right? That's a lot of work and a lot of investigation to be digging through all their past social media posts and any other potential past connections. Mm. I don't know. And their convention is this weekend, so we'll see how many people go along to that. Did you get a feeling, Keith, about whether they're expecting big crowds? Uh, Mandel seems pretty excited. Why well, he <laughs> would say that, though, wouldn't he? What's he going to say? Yeah, nah, no one's going to turn so up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, no I, one's going to come. We're getting all these sandwiches and no one's going to eat them. <laughs> going to be overcated. <laughs> I mean, it's a one-day convention, so it's a little smaller than some of the other ones. Yeah. Uh, and they are, I think they've allotted only a few hours for policy talk. And in so the afternoon. In the afternoon. So I, I haven't seen an, an updated membership number, and I'm not even sure if they've been giving that out recently or, or what their fundraising is. But those are questions I'm asking. We'll hopefully find out. But I, I think, you know, at this point, there's still 
it's still fairly modest. And putting on my edit- member of the editorial board hat on here now, this party needs this weekend to begin to tell Albertans, I think, what they actually stand for. Well, policy, what policy, Sarah? What? No, but what? But <laughs> what policy? Again, so I know that a lot of the faces that I'm seeing involved in this party are people who were previously progressive conservatives right. who did not want to join the new UCP. So as somebody who's looking at them and as somebody who I, I'm... I've, feel like I am in that mushy middle about where a lot of Albertans are with not affiliations to any particular party. Um, who are they? If, are they just PC you know, 2.0? I, I don't think that's how they want to define themselves, probably from a marketing no, perspective. No, and bristled when I even brought that up. Right. So then so then they and they so they can't just be about they need to find the staff to make sure they're vetting their candidates because they don't want to be the party that's just constantly kicking out candidates due to views that are you know not acceptable uh, or would not play well politically or would you know basically disqualify them from anyone actually taking them seriously and voting for them so they don't want to be doing that um, so they as Janet pointed out if they don't have the people they need to make sure they find the people um, and then yeah they need to start this weekend off with some you know, serious policy. Maybe that's how they distinguish themselves. But then is that too boring? I don't know. I'm clearly I've been a journalist for a long time, not a political <laughs> policy strategist. So, well, I guess I'm going to be heading up to that. Are you heading up, Kate? I will be there. Tomorrow? Oh, we know how to spend a Saturday, don't I we? I know. Party like a journalist. Yeah. And, and then next. I love it when you guys party like journalists. I know. Thank you. <laughs> and then next weekend. Her eyes is are e- sparkling. <laughs> <laughs> next weekend's the NDP convention. You going to that one, Kate? Oh, I'll be at that oh, one, too. Oh, look at us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a double weekend party convention. A triple weekend for you. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Although la- this, well, last weekend wasn't a convention. It was just funsies. Good old journalism. Just good old journalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I appreciate so. all your work on behalf of the readers. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that'll be fun. Let's move to the big thing that happened this week <laughs> that wasn't political. Well... It was, I but guess. But it was. It was, it was so political. political. It's, I know. Rooted, political. it's rooted I in know. a major political policy shift where you had a prime minister saying, we are going to legalize marijuana. <laughs> I know. That I don't know why I said that. That is huge. And I can't ever, like, <laughs> seriously, like, when I, I know that we've been leading up to us for a few years, but when I think about it and think about the change that I've seen, you know, since, you know, being 18 in Vancouver and carrying around my hemp wallet that I thought was so hip on, you know, like, but like, and thinking, and thinking thinking that that would be, you know, like how radical that was. So not radical. I'm such a nerd. (laughs) Anyways, but, and then like to come to this point where this has actually been not just decriminalized, but legalized up to a point in certain circumstances. I mean, I know there's like, like alcohol, there's rules around it. This is huge, and, and I made headlines around the world. Yeah, yes. it's it's this is not this is not a thing that happens every day. And so, even though it, you know, we can talk about how kind of relatively low key it was, it's a big deal. It is a big deal, and you're right; it was totally political. I just felt like <laughs> I felt like it started off political, and then it just ended up being like. Now we've got now we've some girl legal. guide cookies. <laughs> Let's <laughs> so all smoke the devil's store. lettuce and. Uh, eat girl guide cookies. And now, Janet, you um, covered Joe Cece, finance minister, and also minister in charge of yeah. Alberta Gaming, Liquor and Cannabis. It is AGLC, which used to be the Alberta Gaming and Licking Commission. Licking? No, Liquor Licking? Commission. <laughs> Way better. Edibles have not Ooh. been approved yet. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. But what I really liked is they just it, they took out the word commission and just swing cannabis. It to cannabis. So then yeah. they didn't have to change. You know, this like, could, their this website. could have substantial implications for other 
Crown Corporations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, Joe CC had a press conference Yeah, Monday, Joe right? CC had a press conference. We also had a technical briefing beforehand to talk a little bit about, like, how is this website going to work and what do you need to do to show your ID and just kind of the nuts and bolts. And they also took that opportunity to announce um, something that cities have been waiting to hear, cities, towns, villages, and rural municipalities. So going back months and months and months, we've heard from Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson and uh, other municipal leaders and even um, the, like, the national body of mayors like the big city mayors uh saying hey um most of the cost of creating regulation for the daily use and where you can use marijuana and uh, where it can be sold and where it can't be sold and uh, who gets to sell it and where and policing it all falls on us to uh to, to create these regulations and also to enforce them, um, us being municipalities, not the provincial government. But the provincial government gets 75% of the excise tax from cannabis sales. So um, the reason they got a larger share of that tax um, than the federal government was because they were supposed to pass some of that on to municipalities to help with the frontline costs of introducing cannabis to the marketplace. And so municipalities have been kind of gnawing away at provincial politicians and federal politicians saying like, hey, um, this is going to cost us millions of dollars that we don't, we can't just go to the taxpayers and raise taxes to to enforce this. Like we need, we need some dollars. And so, uh, Give and us so, some real cash money. so real cash money was announced on Monday, I think, yeah. um, $11.2 million. And then over two, uh, years. over two years. Yeah. So I think maybe like six is six or eight or something's coming the first year and then the rest of the next year uh and then that we have uh edmonton mayor don iveson at city hall throwing up his hands going what first of all there were limitations on this money so first of all um if you have you can only apply it's it's not an automatic it's not an automatic you know transaction of cash to each municipality you have to apply for a grant for it so there's some bureaucracy there you have to apply for it and you can only apply if your city has more than four or five thousand people and you pay for policing so either you have your own city police force or you pay a share of your local rcmp costs and so that only makes 52 municipalities in alberta eligible which means that like rural municipalities and a lot of villages and hamlets and whatever would not even be able to apply for this funding even though they still have to pay or spend their you know time making these regulations. Uh, so that really irritated um, the Rural Municipalities Association of Alberta. Rural, Rural Municipalities yeah, of Alberta, right. is that what yep. they're called? Yep. Okay, so learning the acronyms for urban affairs. Uh, I'm <laughs> Formerly AAMDNC. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. I appreciate your organization and all it does. Um, and, <laughs> and also Don Iveson, the mayor of Edmonton, said, um, we expect, and I don't know where he's getting these numbers, and if we've had more time, perhaps we could press him more to, to get where he's getting these calculations from. But we think that Edmonton, it's going to cost us about $12 million a year. There's no way. There's no way. So he's saying the police up front want $4.5 million a year in extra Why? policing to hire more police. Why? Like, unless you're just going to be cracking down on, like, oh, people smoking in a park at the wrong place, an extra playground, oh, boogie boogie, like... Honestly, the amount of – sorry to interrupt you, Janet, but I'm having no, real go. problems with what they're saying it's going to cost them here. The policing amounts doesn't, don't make sense for municipalities. I don't think the AGLC amounts make sense either. They said they're going to lose $43 bucks the first year, $47 million lose the second year. How do you lose this amount of money? I've been trying to get a breakdown, and this is the best breakdown that they have given me is $10.3 million to hire staff and pay them benefits. And then the other 30 is, you know, stuff. 
warehousing. How much, how much did setting up the website cost and where, stuff like that? Exactly. Well, they're saying warehousing, cost. e-commerce, and um, you know deliveries. That's that's thirty million bucks. Bollocks. You don't There's pay no for way. your own pot deliveries. Well, yeah, you do. And oh. this is this is the problem. They just they just built that giant new warehouse out in St Albert. AGLC did. What they're doing is um, kind of centralizing their liquor storage into that giant warehouse for all the fast moving stuff. Which means they all have they now have all of these other warehouses that they used to have, which they can use to store weed in maybe it's security issues like i don't know but they already have those protocols set up and those staff hired in order to protect these other warehouses how are they getting 30 million dollars to do that it doesn't cost that much to set up a website i don't understand that figure whether they're trying to like highball it so that when it comes in and in fact it only costs 10 million dollars oh look at us now we've got 30 million bucks to play with i don't understand it Hmm. but you know what even though cannabis has been legalized those are very good questions and the rollouts happened and even if it is you know a few weeks from now or a month from now and we get that news old news as it may be i'll be happy to have that story it'll be new to us still news that's exactly old news still news um well this is why joe cc said hey this is because i asked a question of him in this telephone news conference just right. saying like hey uh edmonton thinks this is going to cost 12 million dollars and then later the mayor said and actually we think we're getting one million and change so it doesn't even come close to covering our estimated costs however one estimates that well joe cc says well what we really want to do is we'll wait two years this is transitional funding we'll see like what are the actual costs right so it almost sounds like the province is well either a they don't have a ton of money to play with and b like it sounds like they're a little bit skeptical of some of these estimates on the other hand um what you hear from, say, the Edmonton police is that, well, we need to buy expensive devices to do That's a fair roadside point. testing. Sorry, Edmonton and police. We ha- and we fair have to point. train people and we may have to hire specialists who are not necessarily police officers to do some of that testing. And we have to deploy the testers into the field because I guess you have to test somebody within two hours of them um, being stopped for the reading to make any sense. So you can't just like throw them back a police car, take them to the depot, and then like five hours later test them. But that's like assuming that everyone is just going to get high and then drive. I mean, like, if they're More stopping... More so than now. Well, yeah. yeah. So if you're stopping people anyway, well, you know, give them this extra device. I know in Australia, we actually have those devices and they will test you for um, whether or not you're driving high, even though marijuana in any form whatsoever, medical or otherwise, is completely and utterly illegal. Uh, they now have roadside tests, um, saliva tests that will get you on that. Because Australia is a great country. Full of law-abiding citizens, <laughs> underpaid <laughs> children, <laughs> and Christ on a bike. Apparently, <laughs> the other only other point is that um, if you want to know what the municipalities actually wanted, rather than eleven point two million dollars, what the uh, Alberta Urban Municipalities Association, uh, the president Barry Morishita, said that actually they would like municipalities to get seventy percent, seven zero percent of the Alberta government's cut of the excise tax on cannabis. And uh, the Rural Municipalities Association, they would like fifty percent of the excise tax. Oh, split the difference, give them sixty. That's that's 63. what I <laughs> <laughs> Keith coming out strong on the formula. No, I have no, no idea. No, I agree with a, a lot of what you said here. The costs to me just do not make a lot of sense and I think both municipalities and the provincial government are probably erring on the side of caution here. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, at some point this will start to make more sense as we figure out exactly what the demand is, what the enforcement levels need to be, what the potential problems are that have to be policed and, and regulated. But uh, at this point, it's kind of a guessing game, so we'll see. 
brave new world that we live in. It is. Brave new world. Uh, let's move over to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we have seen or read or listened to lately that we think you may also enjoy. Sarah, do you want to kick us off? I sure do. You've got an actual piece of I have paper a, stuff. I have a piece of paper, but the first thing I want to recommend is, I, this is going to sound like it's because it's promotional. It's not. It's because I found it really interesting. Um, the 10.3 podcast, Post Media's national podcast, which our colleague Dave Breckenridge hosts, he interviewed a reporter from the London Free Press in the latest episode about the ranked ballot they're having in their civic elections, Ooh. which I thought... Everybody, if you, I mean, what an interesting idea to do a ranked ballot for mayor and for council, I guess, in some of those races when you only have two candidates running for council, the rankings, (laughs) fairly, fairly easy. Um, But anyways, I just thought it was fascinating. I didn't know they were doing that. It was fascinating to hear that a Canadian municipality was trying this out and uh, four of the candidates running for mayor have different, you know, it's uh, interesting to hear how much some of them are like trying to get people to just ignore the ranked ballot and only vote for them, etc. But it's preferential it was, vote. Yeah, it was interesting. So we, we use that in Australia. Give that a listen. The other thing I'm going to recommend is a piece that came out of Indiana. It was actually from a television station, and it was featured in the latest uh, Investigator of Reporters and Editors Journal. So I'll give them a couple of links for this. But it is about the uh, meth em- epidemic in Indiana and how it was affecting homes and how this uh, TV station was realizing that people were moving into homes that had been former meth labs and they hadn't been informed of it and there were all kinds of state laws that were being ignored because homes that have been identified as meth labs are supposed to be one, cleaned appropriately and then two, put on a a website or database so that people know about this. It wasn't happening. It was fascinating. Um, Made me wonder, what what do we do for homes here that have been uh, uh, used? So that's where I'll... That was a problem with grow-ups in Vancouver. Big problem. Um, Janet, what do you have? Well, unlike uh, Sarah's extremely serious publication, I brought a copy of Is that? Oh Knitting Traditions. Oh, and you've actually yeah. got it here. I brought the magazine. That's okay. a nice cardigan. Can you knit right? that? Right, and it's connected to the, the okay. thing, the thing that I'm going to say right now. Sorry, I'm interrupting. Yeah. No, no. Shh. <laughs> um, okay, so anyone who follows me on Twitter would know that I'm a knitter which people think is kind of hilarious or like mock-worthy and no, screw you all. You're a good knitter. And knitting is awesome. And uh, so I picked up in my local grocery store a copy of something called Knitting Traditions, which I'd never seen before, but it's published by Massive Knitting Corporation Interweave Knits. And the reason that, that prompted me to pick it up isn't just big the knitting. fetching red cardigan on the cover. Big knitting. Big, big knitting, big, 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 big yarn. No, yeah. I think it would be big yarn. Yeah, big wool. <laughs> You laugh, but you have no <laughs> idea. There's Big Wool. Um, <laughs> can we just change the name of this podcast episode to <laughs> Big, Wool. Big Wool? Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's an article called Knitting for the Right to Vote, and uh, it goes through this uh, sort of historical. I love the idea of the connection between craft and art and politics and how it's used. And so it goes through the importance of how knitting and other um, like women's handiwork was so key in raising money for the suffragette movement for in America uh, during as in the U.S. Uh, in the late 19th century, and goes through some of the characters that were involved in that and and how important that fundraising was. And the the kinds of donations they got from really key, um, pub, uh, well known players that helped them um, pr- propel their movement forward. And the other awesome. thing I want to recommend is really good. Uh, the other thing I want to recommend is that today Hamilton Ontario band the Arkells released a new album, and one of the tracks on that album they do not shy away from politics in their music, which I love. And one of the songs in the album is called "The People's Champ," 
And I can totally see it being used if they're allowed in political campaigns because it just eviscerates this idea of the person who runs uh, for politics because he thinks he's shit hot rather than, um, you know, he has a bunch of great ideas that want to help people. Oh. So um, love that track. and Thanks. Fiery album. Very Sp- uplifting. Speaking of music, just just briefly, I don't know if you guys saw this. I tweeted it out um, in Australia because we're really good at protesting things. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, he let his website expire. So some ragamuffin <laughs> bought it for 50 bucks. <laughs> and now when you go there, all it plays is a punk song that is the title is Scotty Don't Know. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's a catchy song and it's also hilarious. Um, I'm going to recommend a piece from BBC Magazine. Uh, called The Weird World of a Kim Jong-un um, Impersonator. So they interview a couple of kids. It's Where so good. Where find this stuff? Oh, on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really, really good. It's about these – I'm just looking at – look at the photo of these guys. Like they're both amazing. They're both Kim Jong-un impersonators and, and they're different ways of going about it. One of them is really controversial and he'll just say stuff just to kind of get a rise out of people. They entertain at billionaires birthday parties they're like do shop openings apparently every time donald trump would say something about you know kim jong-un they, their phones would just go mental everyone wants to book them say, straight like, how's away their business been lately really good their business has been excellent lately so it's um that is such a weird thing to want to have at your event <laughs> like why would you have what why wouldn't you want to have that at your i event? don't understand your birthday parties are different from mine clearly <laughs> i guess so <laughs> So. Keith, <laughs> Keith, what do you got for us? I don't, I don't know if I can top that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, my good stuff is just is kind of a fun piece of journalism. It's in Esquire. Uh, it's called the Great Rikers Island Art Heist. Rikers Island is the big prison in New York City, yeah, yeah. and uh, this was a, just kind of a fun investigation that this author did to uh, look at uh, a Salvador Dali painting that has been hanging in Rikers Island, kind of moved around within the prison uh, since 1965. And uh, at some point, some people inside the prison figured out that it might be valuable and it went missing. And so it's just kind of an interesting... It's an interesting uh, little mystery on uh, what happened to this painting and and uh, why it's been in Rikers Island for you know nearly seventy years or sixty why, years at this point. Why was yeah. it there? Uh, there? You'll so, have to read the. You'll have to read uh, and yeah. find so out, Janet. I know. Yeah. No. I know. It would, you should do it. You should check it out. I won't. I won't give it away now. Sounds great. Guys, thank you so much for joining me, Sarah O'Donnell, Janet French, Keith Durine. Uh, and another reminder, of course, to subscribe because we do have the new weekly press gallery interview, um, hopefully weekly. That's hopefully our, weekly. That yeah. is our goal at this point in which we're going to get politicians and all kinds of folks to come in and go into a little bit more in-depth interviews about issues of the day. So, um, yeah, do give a listen to that. First episode, of course, was with Keith Durine and um, Alberta Party leader Stephen Mandel. Thank you guys so much for joining me and we're back again this time next week with more Press Gallery. Yay!